1988, he's lived in Greenville, South Carolina. So let's give it up for Jose Alvarez. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Hey, uh, do me a favor, look to somebody right beside you and say, you know, today still could be the greatest day of your life. Come on, come on, let me hear it. <clears throat> yes. Some of you are probably thinking, yeah, if you'd have seen my test today or my exam or whatever, right? Hey, it is good to be with you. Um, he did tell you that I was married, and um, uh, my wife and I have been married 40 years. And we'll celebrate our 40 fi 41st anniversary, and I asked my wife, uh, I said, honey, do I, you know, really, you know, 40 plus years, you know, you know, what, you know, what, what, what's that like? I mean, come on. And, and she says, you know, honey, you're, you're getting better. Uh, I mean, you're, you're starting to figure it out. And, um, you know, we've never had a fight in our married life. Now, we have family growth sessions. I don't know what your parents call it, but that's what we call it, okay? Uh, but he didn't tell you that I have two awesome kids, all right? Come on. Yeah. Well, I have three all together, but two are really awesome, okay? I'm just kidding. Uh, actually, all three. Actually, our youngest came today and uh, had a surprise visit and popped in, and he was on his way back from uh, Asheville to Augusta, where he lives. He caddies on the tour, and he also caddies Augusta National, so that's kind of cool. But um, he's single, and um, <laughs> yeah, you know, we're, we're looking for arranged marriages. Y'all are little young girls, but um, he is a good-looking dude. I mean, he got his mom's look. There's no question about it. All right, so here we are tonight, FCA 828. Uh, how many of you know by heart Romans 828? Come on. All right, quote it. Give it to me. I'll, I'll, I'll start y'all. We know that all things... All right, yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. All right, somebody pull your smartphone up. Go ahead. Smartphone, pull it up. Romans 8, 28. Somebody read it to me. What do you got? I, I read out of the English Standard Version, but you, pretty much any version is cool. Go ahead. Who's got it? Oh, y'all, listen, you guys text quicker than this. Come on. Pop that out. Go. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are according to his purpose. Yeah. All right. Cool. Thank you. Uh, so all things. Uh, Callum had asked me, you know, what are you talking about tonight? I said, Jesus. And he goes, that's good. And, and he referenced, I said, well, y'all started 828. Has anybody ever did a talk on Romans 828? And he goes, I don't think so. And I said, well, that's what I'm going to do tonight. And, and I've been praying about what this was going to look like. And so uh, Romans 828 does says, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. But do you know what the next verse says? The next verse, we, we usually hear the first verse, Romans 8, 28, quoted when somebody's going through a difficult time, when someone's having a challenge, when someone is experiencing life in a way that they didn't expect, that maybe there's some pain, some problems, that, you know, someone gets cancer, someone, you know, has a, a, a child that goes wayward, and, and, and you hear them say, well, you know, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to His purpose, so we can just trust God, amen, right? And, and you hear that verse, and it's supposed to make everything feel better. But the next verse says this, it says, For whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now you think about that for a minute. Um, <clears throat> 
I did get a chance to play professional baseball for 16 years. I played in the major leagues for parts of five. And, and I knew that as a major league baseball player, there were some expectations on us. Uh, There's a, a demand physically. My body aches today because of two knee surgeries and three elbow surgeries. And, and, and I know the toil of, you know, what it's like to the grind and, and not being real big. You know, I had to extra uh, put in the extra time and extra work to be able to compete at that high level. And, and at one time, uh, I was one of the, the best in, in, the, in the game of baseball. There, there were approximately 650 major league players when I played uh, in, the, in the major league. 650 major league players. There was 26 teams and each team had about 10 pitchers. So you could say arguably that I was one of the best 260 pitchers in the world for a period of a couple of years. Now that in about 50 cents will get you a cup of coffee somewhere. Not at Starbucks obviously, but somewhere, okay? It might be a bad cup of coffee. But I say that to say that, that I knew that there were some demands physically in my body. And, and my manager, uh, you know, when, when he picked us and chose us to play on his team, uh, Bobby Cox was a manager of the Atlanta Braves uh, one of my years and I had a couple of other managers, but his, his idea for us, he, he determined who was gonna be on his team. His idea is that we would become great major league players and, and we would bond together as a team and have some unity to be able to perform at the best of our ability and win a championship. Now it didn't happen when I played for the Braves, we were horrible, I mean we were the worst team in baseball. In 1988 we lost well over 100 games and there was a story going around Atlanta and it was about a little boy that uh, stood before a judge and he had to decide if he was going to live with his mom or his dad. And the judge said, do you want to live with your mom? And she, he says, no. And the judge says, why? He says, because uh, she beats me. And he says, well, do you want to live with your dad? He goes, no. <laughs> and he says, why? He goes, he beats me. And the judge said, well, who do you want to live with? He said, the Atlanta Braves. They don't beat anybody. Uh, so we had to... Ex I mean, there are more people in this room tonight than used to attend the ball game. And we used to yell up in the stands, don't fight for a foul ball, everybody will get one. I mean, it's like the right field fans would have conversation with the left field fans. It was just like, you know, you had to endure the, all the bad jokes. But the manager wanted us to conform and, and think like a major leaguer. Don't think like a loser. And so what I want to share with you tonight is a couple of things, a couple of thoughts. Let's start with the two, two words, all things, all things. What are some of the all things in your life that you have a question mark about this God of creation when, when a verse like that is written by a guy named Paul, he penned the words, actually, I think it was a guy named uh, to Sirius that penned the words as Paul dictated them to him. At that time, I think Paul's eyes were getting kind of messed up, but he dictated to this guy who penned the words as Paul was being inspired by God and the Holy Spirit to write what he wrote to the believers, the group of believers, the followers of Jesus at, at, in the city of Rome at that time. And so when, when the, the word all things, the two words all things come up and I start thinking about all things, what kind of the all things in your life have you ever had a question mark about how could this ever be good? Come on, just share a couple with me. What all things have you heard of? Maybe in your life or in someone that you know.
COVID. COVID, yeah. God, here's, here's a COVID thing, all things, and someone dies from COVID. What else? Give me another one. Cancer, Cancer yeah. Yeah, I, I, had, I had a sister, and uh, I still have her, and thankfully uh, she got a great report yesterday that uh, her liver cancer is gone, and her lung and bone cancer, never smoked a cigarette the day in her life, but she had lung cancer, and maybe it was from secondhand smoke, nobody really knows, but um, she got a, a good report that it's in remission, but she's a, a believer and a follower of Jesus, and that all things... It's like, okay, God don't understand right now. So you got COVID, you got cancer, what else? Doesn't have to start with a C, but I mean it could. What else? War. War, yeah. I mean, we've got a, a, a madman right now that's bombing hospitals and killing children. Is this God part of your all things? I mean, you think about it. You got child slavery and human trafficking. You've got disease and death. You've got broken bodies and broken relationships. You've got a flawed government and foolish leaders. Divorced parents, difficult families. You've got tests, exams that you studied for and it didn't work out. And then someone says, hey, don't worry, but all things work together for good. In other words, you're going to fail and you're going to be a loser, but God's going to work out on it, okay? Everything's going to be all right. We have wounded hearts and heavy minds. We have outrageous gas prices, and I had to book a flight today, and just three weeks ago, uh, I was waiting because I, you know, I had plenty of time, and I was like, ah, should I get it now? Three weeks ago, uh, I should have booked it because it was $1,000 cheaper. Plane tickets are outrageous now. And then you have some people whose careers are wrecked, and maybe you even know some college students whose dreams have been shattered. God, is this part of your all things? What kind of good can come out of that? And the bigger question might be that you might have, uh, that I've asked as well, what kind of God allows his people to suffer so much? I mean, was this what God really wanted? And, and if, if you say, well, why didn't God change it? Let me just kind of give you a little quick background. When God created everything, he created a perfect world. You can read it in Genesis. It was, he said it was good, good, good. And then when he made man, he said what? No, he first said not good that man should be alone. Not that man was flawed. Now, I know a lot of people, uh, my granddaughter has said this, you know, is that God made Adam and then he says, I can do better. And then he created and fashioned Eve, okay? So I don't know, ladies. You know, it says God created Adam, but he fashioned Eve. Uh, I told my wife, I thought I was real cool. I said, honey, I want you to know that you are my spare rib. <laughs> she said, ah, oh, baby, I am your prime rib, and don't you ever forget it. So, but God made this perfect world, and, and, and then because he did not want you and I to be puppets on a string, he gave mankind the opportunity to have free will and choice. We could choose to love, follow, trust, and obey him, believing that he had us, our best interest always at mind, or we could do our own thing. And you know what the story is. Adam and Eve chose to not trust God. They listened to the lie of the enemy. You know why God doesn't want you to eat from that tree of knowledge of good and evil? Because when you do, you're going to be like God. In other words, God's holding out on you. 
If God really loved you, you know what? He'd let you eat from that tree of knowledge of good and evil because then your minds will be open and you'll be like God. He's holding out on you. You can't trust somebody that's holding out on you. And so what does it say? That, you know, that's what baseball in the Bible, Eve stole first, Adam stole second. Bottom line is sin entered this world. And this perfect world that God had made is marred and flawed. God could have eradicated it, eliminated it, and said, you know what? I'm going to start fresh and start all over. But he let mankind go, and, he, and the world was beginning to repopulate, and mankind had all these laws to do to be made right with God. It was all about doing, doing, the sacrifices they had to make, and, and all the laws. There was over 600 laws given to the nation of Israel how to make a great nation and how to worship God, how to be forgiven, how to have your sins erased, and, and man couldn't do it. They were always falling short. Could you imagine living like that? Every day you had to figure out a way how to be made right with God. And so what does God do? He sends his son Jesus, the God-man, God in human form, born of a virgin, die, comes and lives a perfect life, and then gives up his life by dying on the cross so that the punishment and penalty of sin could, could be fully paid Paid by his precious blood. So he dies, he's buried, and after three days he's resurrected to prove that Jesus had power over death, hell, and the grave. And so Jesus now became the mediator between God and man. Jesus is our mediator. Uh, I was sharing uh, with a friend of mine that um, it, it was interesting because <clears throat> anybody here from a Catholic background, any Catholic background? Okay, a few of us, yeah. My father was an altar boy uh, before he actually um, you know, started making some bad choices later on in life. And when I was five years old, the FBI came in our house, kicked our door open, grabbed my dad off the couch, put him up against the wall, handcuffed him, put him in a police car. He was tried in Tampa and sentenced to nine years in the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary. He ended up doing six years in the pen. Six years. And for six years, <clears throat> excuse me, my family and I, we would drive up to Tampa. We could only afford to go up once a year, and we'd visit him. And uh, it, it's interesting, I tell people, we didn't have much when my dad lived with us, and after he got arrested, we had a whole lot. We, we were on the poor side of town in Tampa, Florida, where I was raised. I tell people, we were so poor, one night some guy broke in our house and tried to rob us, we robbed him. Okay, that's poor right there, bro, okay? And so I grew up without a dad. I know what that feeling is like, but... Um, What's, what's interesting is that when, as a kid growing up, you, you don't realize some of the things that you don't have. And so that whole thing about following Jesus and trusting Jesus, I, I, I didn't have a lot of that because I went to a church mainly because it had the refreshments like you guys over, over there. Who won the cookie contest? Okay, yeah, we need to talk. Um, the limbo contest, got some cookies. So, so here it was. Um, I started going to a Catholic church, and mainly is because the girl went to the Catholic church, so I thought that was kind of cool. After I became a follower of Jesus, my senior year of college, I went to the University of Louisiana Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns, and uh, it's pretty exciting because just two year, three years ago, 19, 2019, I got inducted in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Forty years later, I still have uh, three records that haven't been broken on the baseball field, and I was just there last week for the PGA's Corn Ferry event and got to see a lot of old friends uh, out there. But I have a whole new understanding and appreciation for people in Catholicism. And I was talking to my nephew today because 
he, he is, he's still in, entrenched in Catholicism. And I said, listen, denominations, none of that. And, and I'm not here to change anybody's denomination. But, but it, it came to me from a friend who told me he got a baseball scholarship to Rutgers University. And he said that he was born in Okinawa. His mom is full Japanese. His dad uh, was in the military. They married, and he lived there until he was 12 years old. Then they moved to New Jersey. Very Catholic, strong family. And he said that when, when he was uh, in college, he got a scholarship to play baseball at Rutgers. The first week, some friend, his teammate, said, hey, you want to go to this fellowship thing tonight? And he goes, what's that? Like, maybe some of you were like, what's this fellowship of Christian athletes? I don't know what this thing is. I don't want to go to some huddle meeting or some get-together at 828 on a Tuesday night to hear some guy that sounds like he's an illegal immigrant. I mean, I, I don't want to go, but maybe you're here because somebody invited you. He went, but only after his friend was brilliant. Here was his friend said to him, hey, do you want to go to this thing? And he goes, what is it? He goes, well, it's this thing about faith and and we talk about Jesus, and he goes, well, hey, I'm Catholic. And you know what his friend said? What he didn't say was, well, let me tell you, you know, there's some errors in your understanding of the Scripture and, you know, some of the practices. He did none of that. He goes, don't worry about it. He goes, we believe about the same thing. And Ed, my friend, says to him, what do you mean? He goes, well, do you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus? And Ed goes, yeah, we believe that. Catholics believe that. He said, do you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture? And he goes, yeah, we believe that. He said, do you believe uh, that, that Jesus died on the cross and that after three days he was, he was buried and after three days he came back to life? And Ed goes, yeah, Catholics believe that. And he goes, we do too. He said, we believe in the Holy Scriptures. Yeah, we do too. He said, you believe in the virgin birth? Yeah, we do too. He said, you believe you've got to have your sins forgiven? by God so that you can and have eternal life and, and a joy-filled life on earth? And, and, and Ed goes, yeah, we believe that. Catholics believe that. He goes, we do too. He goes, but wait a minute. Don't you believe that everything has to go through the church or through a priest for you to have your sins forgiven? And, and Ed goes, yeah, we believe that. And his buddy says, well, listen, that's the only difference. And he goes, what do you mean? He said, well, I have a personal relationship with God. And, and the Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, and it's Jesus. It's not, it's not Mary, even though she was an incredible woman. It's not the priest. It's not the preacher. It's not the deacon. It's Jesus himself. He goes, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. He goes, why don't you start reading the book of John and, and, and tell me what you think about it. And so Ed started reading it, and he was like, wow, I can have a personal day-to-day -day intimate walk and intimate life with Jesus. And he goes, and I wanted that. He says, you know, I still visited a Catholic church, but I had now a, a solid faith in who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. And I'm like, Ed, that's remarkable. That's incredible. One week later, I was playing golf at Legacy Pines with one of my board members, and uh, they paired us with a couple. And I can play golf with anybody if you play flat fast. I just don't want to be out there all day. And so we're, we're paired with a husband and wife that had just moved to Greenville from Rochester, New York. The girl's name was Karen, and here's how she introduced herself. Hi, my name's Karen, but I'm not that Karen. I said, okay, I got it, I got it. And I said, how you doing? I'm Jose. And, and the guy says, my name's Michelle. I went, hey, that's my wife's name. But he's from Canada. He was a French-Canadian, and his first name's Michelle, last name Fresnel. And so we played golf together, and we had a great time with them. And at the end of the 18 holes, this is one week before Christmas Eve, just 2021. 
And so I said to them as we're walking off the 18th hole, I said, hey, Karen, Michelle, I said, you know, you guys have just moved here, right? And they said, yeah. I said, do y'all have any Christmas traditions? And they said, well, both of our children are scattered, and so it's just us. We just moved here. And I said, well, what about a Christmas Eve service? Do y'all do anything for Christmas Eve? And she goes, well, we're Catholic. I go, ah, we believe about the same thing. She goes, really? I go, yeah. Do you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? She goes, yeah. I go, our church believes the same thing. Did you believe that Jesus died on the cross and he was buried? And after three days he came out, he goes, yeah, we believe that. And so I went down that same pattern. You go, really? And I pulled the app up of our church, Fellowship Greenville, and I said, yeah, here's where I go to church. Here's all our sermons. They go, hey, can we come visit? And I go, sure. It was interesting because they have now become involved, and they're, they go, wow, we're hearing things taught from the Bible. We're learning stuff about Jesus that we never knew. So I want to encourage you. The all things that God's talking about in Romans, all things include your faith, your walk, your future. Now you think about that. You may come from a religious background. You may, you may think right now that the world is out of control, and it is. It's out of your control. It's out of my control, but it's not out of God's control. And I promise you this, if you'll consider, if you'll consider who God is, and you'll consider allowing Jesus to have preeminent place in your heart and in your life. I believe that you're going to see some things open up in your life that will be transformative. So the question I have for you tonight is this. Who or what is doing the molding in your life? Who or what is doing the molding in your life? Who or what is forming your thought process, your habits, your life rhythms? Something is. Something is forming these things in your life because every one of us is being transformed in some way by many different things and by many different people. Whether we realize it or not, I'm here to tell you that you're being conformed. You're being transformed. What's doing it? Something's doing it. Uh, we're being shaped daily by the somethings and the someones, some by our own desires, wants, and needs. Some from our pains, our sorrows, and our joys. Some by our accomplishments and our failures. Some by our wins and some by our losses. Some by our jobs and some by our vocations. Some by your families and a lot by your friends. We get formed by doing life and experiencing life. And even our culture in which we live has an effect in how we're formed. Think about if you grew up in Nigeria or think if you grew up in Ukraine. You know, all that's going on in Ukraine, the FCA has a, a large uh, conference about every three years. It's called Real Time. And we just got back from San Antonio a couple weeks ago. While we were there, we had 100, uh, we have over on staff over 120 international staff people. Ukraine, Russia, South America, Canada, Mexico. We have them all over the, all over the world. We had this conference and we brought in 22 Ukrainians. This is, this is 10 days before there was ever talk about Russia invading Ukraine. We had 22 Ukrainian staff and seven Russian staff. And on the opening night, uh, before all this stuff had happened, they had already been here for about 10 days, there's talks about invasion and then it happened on the second night while we were there that Russia actually started the attack on Ukraine. They brought all of them up together on the stage. And the, the head Ukrainian guy is a guy named Andre. 
And he put around his arm around this other guy and, and he introduced him and he says, he's Russian, but he's my brother. And what's going on in Ukraine right now and what's going on in Russia has nothing to do with us individually. We know who our father is and we know who our brothers and sisters are and we love each other. You think that culture, if you would have been brought up there, that would be forming your life in some shape? When my wife and I left San Antonio to fly back to Greenville, they're huddled around because all the bombing and stuff had started taking place. They can't go back. They can't go back to Ukraine. So what FCA has done is they took them all out to the headquarters in Kansas City. I've since, uh, since then have sent emails and my wife and I have opened our home up to anybody, any couples that need to stay. Uh, typically what we tell people, because we speak all over the country, is that, uh, hey, if you're hungry and you're coming through Greenville, South Carolina and you need something to eat or you're tired and you need a place to stay, give us a call and we'll pray for you. But not now. We have told them that they could actually stay with us. Y'all will get that tomorrow. Hey, so you're formed. By, <clears throat> by doing life and experiencing life, something's always out to shape you and shape us into something. I mean, just take a look at me. You can realize right now that Krispy Kreme has a profound effect on shaping me, okay? Something's shaping you too, okay? Now, I don't want to be shaped into what the world defines as a Christian. And how many of y'all remember when I talked about that uh, I guess it was the fall of 2020 when I was here last. How many times is the word Christian in the entire Bible? How many? Come on. All right. Your, here, I'm going to give you some information and let it sink deep and repeat it. Three times the word Christian is in the Bible. In the entire Bible. Three times. In Acts 11:22 it says they were first called Christians in a place called Antioch. The second time it's in Acts also, and it talks about how Paul gives his testimony. He tells his life story to a king named Agrippa, who Paul is sharing about his road to Damascus experience and, and how the light shone around him. And, and Jesus speaks to him and says, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and he says, who aren't you, Lord? He knew who it was. And he goes blind and he has this experience and he tells this story to King Agrippa. Can you imagine if you were blind and all of a sudden your sight's recovered? as you begin to walk and follow Jesus. And King Agrippa, at the end of the testimony, goes, you know what, you almost persuaded me to be one of those Christians. Like people on campus are probably talking about you. Oh, there they go. They're, good. They're one of those people that are going to that 828 meeting. That's okay. But the third time, Peter says, if you suffer as a Christian. So three times in the entire Bible, the word Christian. Do you know how many times the word disciple is in the Bible. Somebody first tell me, what is a disciple? Give me a one-word description of a disciple. A disciple is a follower. follower. Good. What else? A disciple is a student. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is an apprentice. A disciple is an understudy. A disciple is one who sits under the tutelage of someone who, who they are trying to model their life after. And, and Jesus never called me and you to be, dis, to be Christians, but he did call us to be disciples and to make disciples. So when you're walking on campus and people say, are you a Christian? If they were asking me, my pat answer right now is, well, probably not by most people's definition. Because the world's definition 
typically is this. People think a Christian is someone who's hypocritical, too political, anti-abortion, anti-homosexual. All they want to do is get you saved, and all they want is your money. Who wants to be labeled like that? Not I. Now, do I believe in the sanctity of marriage? Yes. Do I believe in, in, in uh, life begins at conception? I do. Do I believe that God created male and female? Yes, I do. But I am not going to be the one that is, is confusing a disciple and the world's view of what a Christian is. In fact, a guy did a, a thing on the streets of Denver just as a test. He went out there and he asked 50 different people, give me the one word description that you think of as Christian. All 50 comments were negative. Judgmental, hypocrite, you know, righteous in their own mind. They had all these different things. And then he went back out on the street a couple hours later and he took another survey and he says, hey, give me a one word description of Jesus. And what came back? Savior, prophet, healer, good man, righteous, God, Lord, all positive things, healer, peacemaker. He, he, they gave so many unbelievable positive descriptions. What do you want to be known as? I know I want to be known as a follower of Jesus. And so I have got to choose and be intentional about what I allow to transform. In fact, in Romans, later on, just a four chapters later, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you can prove what is that acceptable and perfect will of God. So how do all things work together for good to those who love the Lord? It's as we trust and follow Jesus, and allow His Spirit and the Word of God to transform our mind. So, next time I speak to y'all and I ask if you're still, how many here are freshmen or sophomore? Okay, maybe I'll be able to come back before you graduate. And when I say, how many times the word Christians in the New Testament, you're going to yell out? Three. All right. And disciple, how many times? 269. Come on, you can remember. 260. Say 269. 269. Actually, it depends on what translation you're reading, and I think it goes all the way up to like 273 in some translations. So, Jesus, we're going to wrap up with it. Jesus became what we are, sinful. On that cross, He took all of our sins so that we could become what He is. He was righteous, and we can be clothed in His righteousness. But Jesus does more than just forgive us of our sins. That's just the start. He changes everything. And if he's not changing everything in your life right now, my question is, do you really know him? Are you being transformed by his power? Because what he'll do, not just forgive you of your sins, that's the start. He'll redeem our past regrets and he'll restore our broken relationships. He'll remind you of true identity, your true identity. He'll rescue us from wasting our life and chasing money and fame. I saw that in the major league so many times. I saw guys so unhappy. They're making three, four, five million dollars a year. They were miserable. I mean, I, I could be happy making that much money, I say, I say to myself, but can we be content? Because here, here's the deal, folks, listen, trust me on this. If, if you're angry, if you're, if you're anxious, if you're worried, if you're fearful, if you're, if you're lustful, if you're greedy, if you're rebellious, the deeper issue is what lies are you believing about yourself? 
Because you're not believing the truth of who you are according to what the creator of you says about you. If you're wrapped up in porn, if you're wrapped up with some addiction, it's, it's because you're believing the lie about yourself that the enemy is speaking and you're allowing him to conform your mind and your habits, your emotions, your thoughts, your patterns. When you start knowing who Jesus is and walking in step with the Spirit of God, your life is going to take a different direction. Uh, I heard our pastor ask this question, and I'll ask the same question to you. Would you rather have <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus with you 24-7, hanging out with you, or would you prefer to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What would you rather do? You don't have to answer out loud. Just think about it. A lot of people go, man, I like, that'd be cool. You know, I got the WWJD bracelet, so I just had to go, hey, what would you do, Jesus? I haven't had to look at my bracelet anymore, right? No. Jesus said this. You remember before he ascended up to heaven? Can you imagine that? You're saying, hey, what's, whoa, what's going on? Uh, there he goes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He was here, now he's gone. Remind me to come back to where I'm at in this point, but I've got to take, take this sidestep. A friend of mine is a great communicator. His name's Greg Speck. In Chicago, a number of years ago, uh, a friend of his uh, was part of this passion play. You know the passion play around Easter time? You may see one coming up. It'll show the, the crucifixion and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so he got a friend who was not a believer Say, come on, I want you to watch this passion play. It's really cool. And he goes, like, what is it? And he goes, oh, it's really cool, man. It tells the whole gospel story in a, in a play and a few acts. And so, you know, it's time now for the, the crucifixion. And so here's Jesus on the cross. And one of his friends was playing the Roman guard, okay? Remember the, the Roman soldiers who, you know, they, they were going around and, and they broke the legs of one of the, 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 the criminals on the, on the cross, and, and that was so that as he collapsed, he couldn't breathe anymore. And he, basically, crucifixion is the cruelest form of punishment. It was for the vilest of vile offenders. It, it was a way to publicly display uh, the evil and, and to make to, a, a, a mockery of death in a way that people would say, I, I don't want to get that done. And so, so as they went to, to go to Jesus, remember, they said that he was already dead, and so what did the, the Roman soldier do? He took the spear and, and did what? Hit him in the side, right? And so the, in this play, this guy was supposed to pick up the retractable sword, retractable sword, and go out there, and as, and as you stick, it, it, it kind of retracts. It looks like it, you stuck it in him, but he didn't. But they're in the back, and they're kind of goofing off. You know, they're high school kids. They're goofing off. And so... Jesus is on the cross and he yells out, it is finished. And he hung his head and according to scripture, says that he died. Well, when he said it is finished, that was supposed to be the cue for that guy to pick up his sword, go out there and do the retractable sword into his side. And then the curtains close and then the next scene would be the ascension scene after the resurrection. Well, the guy's back there and they're goofing off. He doesn't hear Jesus say, it is finished, and Jesus bows his head, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and unlike in the scriptures, Jesus raises his head again, he goes, it is finished, and he hung his head, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and that awkwardness of silence, and this guy hasn't come out, he raises his head again, and goes, 
it is really finished. And he hangs in. The guy goes, oh. He runs, he grabs the wrong sword, and he goes over there. And fortunately, he only glanced him, and he hits Jesus, stand in Jesus, in the side. And in the, unlike in Scripture, this Jesus goes, ah! <laughs> Curtains close, ambulance, ah! This guy who has never been to church is watching this gospel presentation, and he's like, oh my goodness. Well, unlike in Scripture, here comes two guys carrying a little gurney down there. They pull Jesus off, and they put him on the gurney. They escort him out, and they take him to the hospital to sew up his side. Okay? But that's okay, because they have a stand-in Jesus. The understudy. And they do the resurrection scene, and here's Jesus in his white robe, and talk, And you can read the story in Mark and Luke. It's a great story. And, and here's this Jesus, and they have him hooked up, because now it's time for the ascension. The ascension, when Jesus says to us, as I was pointing out earlier, it is good for you that I go away. I will send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. He will guide you. He will teach you all things. He will fill you. He will empower you. So this is what Jesus said. It's good. It's better for you that Jesus goes away. So you don't want 24-7 Jesus there. Keep wearing your WWJD bracelet. Okay? You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, this understudy is now hooked up, and it's going to say, I go to my Father. But they made a little small calculation error. Because the first Jesus, who's already been escorted out, weighed about 85 pounds more than the understudy. So when they dropped those sandbags to slowly see the Jesus ascend out of sight of the congregation up into the heavens, this Jesus, 85 pounds lighter, took off like the space shuttle. Bam! Hits the rafter. The things come down. Smack! Hits the ground. Ah! Arrgh. This dude's going, wow, this Jesus was radical, man. <laughs> they bring the second group of ambulance guys with a gurney, and they escort him out. You're telling a story to your fellow students, to your fellow teammates, to your family by what you believe and who you really say Jesus is. He rescues us from wasting our life, chasing money and fame and fortune. This Jesus gives us a seat at the family table. He places, it, places us in a community called the church. That's what we are. The church is the body of believers. He defends us and he dignifies us. He transforms our affections and he breaks our addictions. He gives us patience and persecution, and He gives us endurance and suffering. He, he, he heals us, sometimes immediate, sometimes it's the ultimate healing that only eternity will fix in a glorified body. 
He calls us by name, and he becomes our very best friend. I'm asking you, do you know this Jesus? Who he is and what he's done already and what he wants to do in your life. Do you know him? I'm not asking you if you attend FCA regularly. I'm not asking you if you've been baptized. I'm not asking you if you go to church or if your daddy's a preacher. I'm asking, do you know him? If you know him, are you growing and walking in step with him? And are people looking at you going, I don't know what it is. But man, that person has something about them. And Jesus said it best. All men will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. That's the mark of a disciple. Are you loving? Are you serving? He can be your best friend. And all you got to do is ask him. Ask him to be your savior, your God. He said that he came so we might have life and have it more abundantly. Why is this world broken and messed up? Because people are choosing their own God and their own king instead of the one who's the true king and the God of all creation. So I'm asking you, if you haven't trusted him, if you haven't leaned into him, if you haven't taken that step of faith, I'd ask you to consider that. Talk with Ben Earl. Talk with, um, I, I believe it was Molly. Is that Molly? Mason, I'm sorry, Mason. Uh, talk with Callum. Uh, talk with me. If you've never said, hey, how do I take this step of faith? It's as simple as saying, God, I, I just... I can't do life on my own. I'm not navigating well. And I want to be all that you want me to be. I trust that your death on the cross, your burial, and your resurrection proves who you are and what you did for me. And I want to give you my life. It's a prayer. It's a whisper. It can be a shout. It can be a whisper. But he'll do something in your life that will help you navigate well. And when those things come up, those all things that seem like, ah, oh, that sucks. Oh, that hurts. Yeah, but I can trust you, God. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But I trust who you are. I trust you. And no matter what, I'm going to follow you. Even when it doesn't make sense. Father, I pray for each student here, each leader. Each person that may just came in to hang out tonight, just to visit. Lord, I know that um, you could revolutionize this campus. It, it won't be easy, but it is possible. If, if each of us would allow you to transform us daily, not just, it's not an overnight thing. I know I've wanted it to be so many times. It's an ongoing process of daily surrendering your will, my will to your will, to, to saying that I'll, I'll do what you want, even when it's not easy, even when it's a little uncomfortable. And then your word, that we would hide it in our hearts and that our minds, as we meditate on it, it would, it would flow from our mouth and in a natural conversation, not in some pious way that people look at us like, what's up with that? But wow, that's encouraging. Yeah. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, as we read in Ecclesiastes. And out of the mouth come the issues of our heart. And as we think in our hearts, so are we. Those are the Proverbs that you inspired the writers to write for our encouragement so that we realize that, that you desire for us to, to, to walk in such a way and live that, that we would be joy-filled people. 
There may be some of us in here, Lord, that we're not expressing that joy very well because we're letting the lies of the enemy continue to resonate in our mind instead of the truth of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. So change that tonight. Do something great in each person's life. From those that came in with the heaviest burden to those that are navigating pretty well, bring encouragement. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us so much. It's because of you we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great night.